0: Hi everyone I'm Sarah Baker and this is mama stories I created mama stories after seeing how impactful sharing stories can be and overcoming the challenges of motherhood I am where I am today because of the stories of so many amazing strong mamas and I want to share that with every mom I can so follow along to laugh cry and be empowered thanks for tuning in to today's show Have you heard about how we are changing the story for moms? Mama Fund is a nonprofit organization that is dedicated to providing products, services, and education to moms in need. So check us out at mamafund.org. All right, welcome back to the show, Marlene, who is our expert today. Hi, thanks so much for having me again. Yes, it's been a whole... 10 minutes for us, (laughs) a whole week for everyone else. All right. So let's dive specifically into what, um, you did to become
1: a registered dietitian. Like what does that look like? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually, before becoming a dietitian, I went to culinary school. So I thought I was going to be a professional baker. (laughs) That's what I went to school for. Um, and then my very last course or last, uh, quarter in baking school, uh, we took a class on nutrition and I thought it was fascinating. So I ended up shifting gears and I actually thought I was going to go into food science. And then it seemed as I started in food science coursework, it seemed like a lot of that was about making foods last longer on a Mm. shelf, developing new food products, um, kinds of things when I felt like we should just get back to eating. Good old real whole food. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I shifted gears, went to nutrition. So I got my bachelor's in, uh, food science and human nutrition. And then after that, I actually worked at, um, hospitals here in Seattle as a dietetic technician for a while before pursuing an internship. So all, um, registered dietitians have had to do a really long unpaid internship. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I did, I did that. And then you take a big national exam. um, And once you pass, then you're able to work as a registered dietitian, nutritionist.
0: Okay. And so when you got that, you didn't have a specific like niche, but then you went into pediatric. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's right. So um, as a dietetic technician, I worked at a children's hospital. Okay. And, but before that, I always knew that I wanted to work with kids. So my, my mom worked in a teen parenting program when I was little and I would, you know, if I didn't want to go to school, <laughs> <is> kind of <laughs> who does so some, sometimes my mom would allow me to come in with yeah, her <laughs> There you go. Um, or in summer. I um, like your mom even more I, <laughs> every time, every time. I just threw enough of a fit and saying that I didn't want to go. She'd let me go in with her. <laughs> um, but anyway, so so I would get to hang out with all the babies, and it you know when I was really young, I was kind of one of the babies. But as I got older, then um, I was more caring for the for the babies with my mom. So, and I really really loved it. And then I did a lot of babysitting as a teenager. And I just I I just knew that whatever I did in life, I wanted it to involve kids if I could. Um, I thought about being a teacher, but I really hate getting up in front of groups and speaking. <laughs> so it, that I quickly learned like, yeah, that's not a realistic option for me. Yeah. Um, so, you know, once I kind of landed on nutrition, I, uh, I thought I would just wanted to work with kids. Yeah, it was really important to me. So yeah, I was um, working at the children's hospital as a dietetic technician and then I did my internship. Um, and then, you know, I still had my job and they just transitioned me into a dietitian role at the hospital. Okay, So that's where I got, um, my early experience working with kids and nutrition. And then after several years, I started, I opened my private practice and have continued to work with kids and families as well as adults too.
0: Okay. So you do, excuse me, you do the whole spectrum. I do. Okay. Yeah. It's not just kids, but that's where you focus primarily. Yes, it is. Okay. What are the three reasons why kids or parents, I guess, bring their kids to you? What usually happens?
1: Yeah, so probably the the thing I see the most amongst kids and families is when the kids are kind of picky, they're they're just being selective with their foods or meal times are stressful. So if parents are struggling to figure out meals or to find things that their kid will eat, or it's just kind of stressful for everyone. Um, That's a big reason why people come to see me. Another reason why they come to see me is if they've gone to the pediatrician and for their well-child checks and their child isn't gaining weight appropriately or they're not growing in height, um, or maybe they're gaining seemingly too much weight. If there's any sort of concern Mm. around weight gain or growth, um, that can either trigger the pediatrician to refer the patient to me, or sometimes parents will just seek it out on their own. Okay. And then, um, the third reason or the third top reason why people come to see me is if their kids are, if they suspect food sensitivities, if they're having chronic issue, chronic issues, like constipation or loose stools or gas or eczema, or rashes or headaches or whatever. And and they, they feel like food might be playing a role into it and they want to get some answers um, about it. Then they'll come to see me to, to try to get some resolution to these symptoms.
0: All right. So you said picky eating, which I feel like all kids are picky eaters or at least all the kids I'm around are picky eaters. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I'm actually, has I, I, I'm not a big fan of using that term, okay. picky eater, because we, kids all go through, almost all kids, I would say, go through periods of being more picky or more selective with their eating. And I hate to kind of give them the label of being a picky eater. Sure. When it's a totally normal thing. Okay. So, yeah.
0: So when you say like picky or stressful eating... That's obviously more of like the extreme. So what are like some signs where a parent would be like, okay, I have a picky or stressful eater. I need to bring them in.
1: Yeah, so if, if meal times are just really stressful for everybody, if you feel like you, you know, the, the kid doesn't even hardly want to eat anything, you can't think of, um, you're having a hard time putting together meals, it's really interfering with social events, like they can't go to a friend's house and eat. You know They can go to a friend's house, but they're not going to be able to eat. Um, or you can't go out to a restaurant because there won't be anything that your child will eat, and it's just going to be a mess. Um, if they are having weight gain or growth problems, that's another reason or if they've been diagnosed with any nutrient deficiencies like Mm. iron deficiency or um, anything like that Um, another you know reason that might signal that this picky eating is is something bigger or is more of a problem it's not just kind of your everyday run-of-the-mill normal picky eating is if they're really reliant on oral nutrition supplements so some sometimes we'll say like oh well they like drinking milk. So, okay, we'll give them milk. Oh, but that's not, you know, f- a whole, whole nutrition enough. So we'll give them pediatric or something oh, like okay. that. Okay. Um, and then they get really hooked and that's kind of making up a really large chunk of their nutrition or if milk is making up a large chunk of their nutrition. Um, those are all some, some reasons to seek additional help in this area.
0: I was next going to ask you about like what behaviors as parents we're passing down to our kids. But I I thought about something when you just said that, Mm -hmm. um, see, I don't have a problem taking Grayson anywhere to find him something to eat. I just know he's only going to eat a quesadilla. Like that is the only thing (laughs) that will go in that kid's mouth if we go out to eat. So we got to find a restaurant that's going to have, we don't do meat for him, Mm -hmm. um, So like chicken nuggets, like what's typically on a menu doesn't work. So I always have to make sure that they have some sort of like cheesy and carb option. But if it's like cheese and carbs, he's, he's good. So I'm imagining I'm going to fall into this next question, but what are some of the things that as parents we are doing that's passing along to either make just a normal picky eater or even this extreme of like, now we've got to go see somebody picky eating.
1: Yeah, that's a really good question because a child could be going through this just kind of normal picky eating stage. Mm -hmm. And if we see it and we over- Um, you know, like we make it more of a big deal than it actually is. There's a lot of things that we can do that are actually going to make the problem worse with Mm -hmm. time. Um, And, and I should, I should comment in there that a lot of these things that we do, they're done with good intentions, right? We think that's what's going to help the situation. It kind of makes sense logically that it would. And yet over time they end up backfiring and making the problems worse. So, um, some of those things are just flat out requiring that the kid eat before they leave the table. Say you have to eat all of your protein, or you have to take at least two bites of this, or you have to take at least a no thank you bite. Um, or, you know, not letting them have dessert until they've eaten their Mm. vegetables, you know, so using using food as a reward, um, or withholding food as a punishment too. That's something that we absolutely want to avoid doing. Um, other things that, you know, as, as parents, some things that we can do that can end up making the problem worse is by catering to our kids. So we want to take their preferences into consideration. Like Grayson really loves quesadillas that's awesome. That is okay. And he wants to eat quesadillas and that's fine. But if you are, you know, instead of making whatever you were going to make for dinner, you are always making quesadillas because that's what he wants. That's a problem. He needs to also learn that while he loves quesadillas and he gets to eat them, that's not going to be available every single meal, right? And you're going to keep offering the meals, the foods that you and your husband like to eat and sometimes that's going to include a quesadilla because you're taking his preferences into consideration but you're not going to cater to his needs because he's still learning kids are still learning what their food preferences are yeah and they eat one thing and they really, really like it and they're kind of afraid of newer foods. And so then they get hooked on the things that they do like and then they don't learn to branch out and try other things. So we need to continually expose them to, to new foods and know that they're, you know, the first time they may not eat it. They may not even want it on their plate in front of them, yeah. let alone take a bite of it. But it's an exposure. It's an experience. And if you keep providing those experiences, those foods are going to become more familiar. They're going to gradually get closer and closer to actually eating the food. And then with time they will.
0: Yeah. I actually took that advice. I know I got a little sneak, um, peek of that specific conversation yep. as we talked about this before. And I did take that advice because Grayson used to love avocados and black beans. Mm-hmm. We used to actually only feed him black beans and rice. And people used to be like, why do you only feed your kid that? But he loved it. He would just like shovel it in his oh, mouth. My
1: kid loves black beans.
0: And then he went through this phase of like, do not put a black bean near me. Do not put an avocado near me. And then all of a sudden I just was like, okay, well, how about you just like squish the bean? Cause you taught me that. Mm-hmm. And so I was having him like play with them, play with the avocado. And then all of a sudden it was like in his mouth mm-hmm. and now he'll eat a black bean or an avocado. And Yay. so it, worked. I, it did work. <laughs> so I appreciate that advice. Um, but I do think, and we talked about this before too, but, um, there was a lot of stress I had mm-hmm. of like, oh gosh, he's just not eating that. Mm-hmm. And finally, when I was like, whatever, do what you want to do with it, mm-hmm. but it's going to be on your plate,
1: mm-hmm.
0: eat it or don't, but like play with it, have your dinosaur look at it and see if he likes it, like whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Then he was like, okay, I'll
1: take a bite mm-hmm. and it worked great. Yeah, exactly. So when we can lower that, the pressure mm-hmm. at mealtimes times all of a sudden kids, well, I shouldn't say all of a sudden, but sometimes all of a sudden kids open up. Um, So we want to do everything we can to keep mealtimes as pressure-free as possible. So yeah, you make the food that you're going to make for dinner. You think about what your kid likes. You think about what, your husband likes whatever. If I'm, and maybe your husband is the one that's preparing the food. I don't yeah. want to assume that it's always you. Yes. Um,
0: <laughs> well, it is in my case, but sure. <laughs> Some people's cases maybe it's different. Yeah.
1: Well, in my case, it's as a single mom, it's always me, right? It's always so, you. Yeah. Um, I always have that responsibility, but. Um, but you, so you think about what everyone likes and you know, sometimes people get their favorite food and sometimes they don't and, and same thing with, with your kid. And so you just, you make what you make, you put it on the table, you think about what they like though. So you want to make sure, especially for your child, that there's always at least one thing that you're serving that he or she will reliably eat. Like at least 50% of the time they will always eat that food. Yeah. Um, and maybe, maybe you have more than just that one food, maybe there's a couple things. Um, And so as long as you've done that, and you're providing a balanced meal, you know, there's a protein option, there's some carbs, there's some fruit and veggie, there's good healthy fat in the meal. Um, And amongst all of those things that you're offering, there's at least one or two things that you can count on your kid eating most of the time, then you've done your job at the meal. And it's really up to your child to decide if they're going to eat at all and to decide how much of that food they're going to eat from what you've offered. Yeah. And so if they're saying, I don't, I don't want to eat this. You just say, okay, you don't, you don't have to eat it. And just like that, boom, the pressure goes down. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But so often a lot of those mealtime struggles come from the kids saying, I don't want to eat that. And parents saying, No, you have to eat that like you have to at least take one bite or two bites or Mm. whatever or we get into these conversations of like but you've really liked it in the past or it's you know it's the same as you know whatever you had at grandma's it's just that we just made it here instead it's a different version of it but it's exactly the same you should like it um and then kids get you know they get defensive and they kind of dig their heels in and no i really don't want to and it's just it's no good for anybody and then it creates kind of this this atmosphere at the meal times of you know like the meal times aren't pleasant and yeah. and fun and enjoyable and yeah. they think they're going to be forced to do something and and so then you know with future meals they go into the meal wondering if they're also going to be forced so so it just we want to always be really respectful of our children's preferences and their ability to assert what they want and don't want. And we don't want to rev it up into something more. Yeah. just kind of say, okay, if you don't want to eat it, you don't have to, that's fine. You can talk them through like what's going to happen. Say, okay, if you don't eat anything at lunch though, you're, you know, we're not going to eat again until snack after nap time or after whatever, and kind of talk them through what that looks like. So that, because inevitably you know, half an hour after that meal or an hour later, right? They're going to be upset and wanting food. And you're going to have to hold that line and say, No, I'm sorry, honey. Remember, we talked about this. Yeah. We will eat. You know, lunch, our snack is, you know, just around the corner. We'll get something soon, but it, we're not quite ready for that yet. Here, you can have some water if you want. And they're going to cry. It's, Yeah, it's hard. (laughs) Yeah, it's so hard. It's so hard.
0: That's the thing I think for food is that it is, it's like we have to remind ourselves, do you remember when the baby didn't sleep? Do you remember when the baby didn't transition into their crib or didn't stop with a bottle or whatever it is? It's like my reminder of like, okay, at one point it was really hard and then we transitioned out of it. And so I have to always remind myself like, okay, Grayson just doesn't like pasta tonight and I'm just going to have to like, be patient until he decides he likes pasta again, even though it's like this, wait a second, you did like, like we have this all the time and you like it normally. And, you know, actually the other day that did happen. And I learned that Grayson decided he didn't like sauce on his pasta. He wants to dip his pasta Mm -hmm. in the sauce. Mm -hmm. And so then now I know, okay, the sauce doesn't get mixed. It has to be in a pile to dip it. And then he dips each noodle.
1: Yeah. That's a great trick too, to to, you're still serving the same exact thing, but just decomposing the meal. And it's a way for kids to just interact with their food a little bit more. And sometimes something as easy as that can really make the difference. Yeah. And the other
0: day he ate a salad. I was like, um, I'm sorry. Did my child eat salad? (laughs) I didn't even know. He was like, I want what's in there. I was like, you sure? And he just started picking it up with his hand and eating lettuce. And I was like, all right, well, I know it's like it's just covered in dressing, so yeah. that's why he likes it. Yeah. But I was like, oh, I didn't know he could eat salad. I just didn't even know that was in his, like, choice of food. And so now I'm like, okay, this is something else we can try. Yep. But I also have to remind myself that when I put a salad on his plate, he's probably not going to eat it the first <laughs> time. Just knowing my son, he's probably going to be like, oh, well, excuse me, it was way better when it was out of your bowl with your fork Oh my gosh. than it was out of my – plate with my fork
1: yeah that's exactly how my daughter is it's funny we're sitting here at my dining room table and so I my daughter's high chair is literally right next to me and um yeah so I'll often have my food bowl here and she has her food bowl and the same thing could be in there but she doesn't want to eat it out of hers she wants mine yeah. And not just a bowl like mine, because I've even played with that. I'm like, well, let me just give her a regular ceramic bowl just like mine and I'll just watch her so she doesn't drop it on the floor and it breaks out. Nope, she wants, your she bowl. wants my bowl and my <laughs> fork. Yep, <laughs> Isn't that funny? So, you know, we just, that's a, a great reason for eating meals together as a yes. family mm-hmm. and not serving different things for, for kids than you're eating serve the exact same thing, yeah. prepare it in a way that is kid-friendly. That might just mean chopping it up into smaller pieces, cooking veggies a little bit more so they're softer, um, that kind of thing. Adding a dipping sauce on the side for them if that makes it easier uh, or if that makes them more interested in it. Yeah, Um, Grayson really took
0: to that, the dipping of anything, of like mustard, of ketchup. Like he just loves to – I don't know if it's the action of dipping or if he actually likes the taste, but that did help. a lot for us. Good. Yeah,
1: that's great. But just being, being casual at mealtimes and not having this agenda that my child has to eat so much food or has to try everything on the plate, just letting them choose what they want to eat from the foods that you've served. And yeah, sometimes they might just eat a lot of carbs and sometimes they might just eat a lot of protein and don't look at their nutrition or don't assess their nutrition intake based on one meal or even one day like Mm. look at the whole course of a week what have they what have they consumed and are they getting things from the different food groups and we're all born with this innate ability to regulate our eating we know when we're hungry we know when we're full like if you think of a little breastfed baby like you cannot make them nurse if they're done yeah and and we want to nurture that in older kids, yeah. too, we want that them to stay connected to their hunger and fullness signals, and we little things that we do as parents, again, usually with good intention, mm-hmm. um, they actually work to disconnect kids from understanding when they're hungry and when they're full. Mm. When we try to, over, we try to override those signals for them by making them take another bite or by not allowing them to have more when they want more.
0: Yeah. You know, Grayson got sick in November of last year it was the first time he ever got sick. And, oh, it was awful. Like seeing your baby sick is the worst thing in the world. And I should have known he was sick because he didn't really get a lot of TV time back then. Um, and he just laid on me this one day and just after a nap. And I swear he watched like half of an Ellen. And I thought, okay, this is not that entertaining for you. It's actually not that great of an episode. So it's not that entertaining for me either. So there's no way you like this. And then it was just like throw up everywhere. And for days, and we were in the emergency room and all this stuff. Oh my gosh. And that moment actually reminded me that the human body is so incredible that Grayson's not going to starve. And it actually is something I think back to like when I am having a difficult feeding or when I am having a hard time, even if it is the course of a week or a month. And I feel like, oh my gosh, he's had a lot of quesadillas or, mm-hmm. you know, we don't do meat. So how are we getting his proteins and he won't eat his beans and like all this stuff. And I have to remind myself that his body is so much more magical than I could ever imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if he could survive three days with literally nothing and just a little bit of like pediolite or whatever the doctor had prescribed to us, he's going to be just fine. And I think that that helps me kind of lower that stress. Cause I I think I'm that parent that you're talking about. (laughs) That's like, take the other bite. Cause I'm worried he's going to be hungry Mm -hmm. or I'm worried he's not getting enough of this or not getting enough of that. But I do think it's kind of like that reminder of being like, he's going to, if he's hungry, he's going to tell you he's hungry and he's going to show signs of it and just like take a breath and reassess when it's time to reassess cuz mm-hmm. each meal can be really stressful. Mm-hmm. Even just a snack that Grayson has, I can be like, "Well, how much sugar is in that? And what did he just have?" And oh, uh, and it's just like oh, yeah. constant all the time. Oh yeah, You're there's back so and much forth.
1: for us to worry about you know, for our kids. <laughs> yes. But but yes. in that respect, there's so much for us for us to worry about our kids and like food yeah. is something that we don't need to be having that much worry over. And you know what? We're going to we offer food to our kids five, six times a day, right? Breakfast yeah. and then a mid-morning snack, lunch, yeah. mid-afternoon snack, dinner, and then maybe another snack before bed, depending on your family and what time bedtime is and all that. But so if they don't want to eat a meal or don't want to eat very much at a meal, like there's food just around the corner yeah, at any given time. Yeah. <laughs> really. So we just need to, you know, and sometimes kids will, they're, they will kind of get more of their nutritional needs met at snacks. that's okay that's where we are giving them the opportunity to to make those decisions do they want to eat a a full meal size amount of food at lunch or do they want to kind of have their meal size amount of food at the snack that follows yeah yeah it's their bodies telling them it's their bodies they know when they're hungry and when they're full we don't yeah yeah
0: so good Okay. Well that's picky and stressful eating. Yes. Which I feel like is a lot of like as parents, we need to learn something. But then the other side of it, which I think makes me the most nervous. And I, I had a lot of anxiety when Grayson was little is more of the like sensitivity to food. Mm -hmm. So what are like the common sensitivities and how do parents identify them in their child?
1: Yeah. Good question. So Sensitivities and allergies are two different things. Okay, although the terminology gets interchanged a lot, so a lot of times people are talking about sensitivities but using the term allergy or vice versa. So, um, there, should I talk a little bit about the difference between them? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So true food allergies can be very severe reactions. This is like when we think of a child with a peanut allergy who goes into anaphylaxis. They're not always that severe, right? But it can, they can be very severe and life threatening. Sensitivities can be severe in that you can end up with like a really bad rash or really bad eczema that's chronic and you know irritating. But it's not going to ever be life threatening. For example. Okay. Um, it's more just like painful uncomfortable painful uncomfortable yeah okay exactly since allergies also the reactions happen almost immediately after ingesting the food so mm-hmm. it's much easier to pinpoint which food is causing it because oh. it's something that you've consumed in the you know pretty immediate um like the last 10 minutes or 20 minutes right and they're not dose dependent so a little teeny tiny bit of that food can cause the full blown reaction. Okay. Sensitivities are different in that the reactions are delayed. So they can be delayed only, yeah, only like 20 minutes or so, but they can also be delayed up to three days. So you might not notice the symptom for 72 hours after you've consumed the food. So it's much harder to figure out which food is triggering it and they are dose dependent. So kids can have a little bit of something and be totally fine, not have any kind of a reaction, or if they eat a larger amount of it, then they could have a reaction or Mm -hmm. if they eat a smaller amount, but they have it, you know, a couple times over the course of that three day window, then it might accumulate to being enough to, to give a, a reaction. Um, the, the top eight, Allergen foods are dairy, eggs, wheat, peanuts, tree nuts, soy nuts, fish, and shellfish. Okay. Um I would say sensitivities are similar. It's yeah. h- it's hard to say what the top food sensitivities are. But sure. I'd say they're similar to the top allergies. Yeah. Um some other ones that I see periodically are corn and sometimes sesame. Mm, corn got Grayson when he was a baby. Yeah,
0: yeah, that was interesting. I didn't know that that was a a thing. Yeah, but yeah, he didn't like corn when he was little. Yeah, we actually haven't given it to him since. So maybe I think we keep saying we're gonna try, and then we're like, but do we really want to deal with diarrhea for like four days? Because that's what happened when he was so little. It was just like we were like, what did we feed this kid? Uh-huh. And then we realized the only thing new we hadn't. Luckily, it was like in the very beginning when we were just introducing solids to him. And so it was like every day we would try something new or like every three days we would try something. I can't remember exactly. Mm -hmm. Isn't that funny? You forget. I remember being like (laughs) so stressful in the moment. (laughs) Anyways, we did try a corn, some sort of corn mixture with something. And that was the one that he did it. Yeah. Yeah. So we've just, luckily it was like that. But now if you have a two-year-old or a five-year-old who's experiencing this food sensitivity now what do you have to do, like an elimination diet, similar to what we do as adults, or is it different?
1: Yeah, so mostly people just kind of do some trial and error. Okay. They kind of, you know, with time, they've kind of pieced together, well, you know, it seems to happen after she drinks a glass of milk, or it seems to happen after she eats the, you know, bread, or I don't know, whatever. Um, and so you just, you know... Empirically try taking that that food out or those couple foods out and you see if it gets better, right? A lot of times people can figure them out that way. Mm-hmm. And I should add in that just because you're sensitive to something now doesn't mean you'll always be sensitive mm. to it down the road. Okay. So we can, uh, our immune system can redevelop sensitivity to foods with time. Okay. Um, we can also develop sensitivities that we that we weren't sensitive, sensitive, to them before. So that can happen too. Um, but so you can do that. It's, but like I said, it's so tough to figure out sensitivities because mm-hmm. of all those things that we talked about, that they're delayed, that they're dose dependent. Um, the other thing that I didn't mention earlier is that allergies can happen in isolation. So you can just be allergic to one food and one food only. Whereas with sensitivities, if you're sensitive to one food, you've probably got other sensitivities going on too. So okay. we got to, it's hard to kind of figure out all of them. Okay. So we do offer a type of testing at my practice. It's called the mediator release testing. And that's, um, to my knowledge, the the best test for identifying food sensitivities. So that's something that I'll do with some patients. Although I'm always cautious around restricting a child's diet. Oh, okay. So I'm, I try to not overly restrict diet as much as possible because there has been some evidence to show that diet restrictions early in life, but really at any point in life, um, increased risk of development of eating disorders. Okay. Later.
0: What is that test? Could you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah. So it's called the mediator release test MRT. It's different than other food sensitivity tests that are on the market or tests that get marketed as food sensitivity tests. Um, most of the other tests are just looking at presence of antibodies in your blood, IgG antibodies usually. And the problem with those is that presence of those antibodies doesn't mean that you have a food sensitivity. Sometimes we make those antibodies more as a protective mechanism, so it just okay. means that we've it just means that we've been exposed to that food and our body has made some antibodies, which may or may not be causing any kind of reaction in our bodies whatsoever. Um, the other thing is that food sensitivities sometimes don't involve antibodies at all. So there's other fact, other um, just cell mediated. Uh, reactions that can happen. And so the mediator release test that we use in my practice, uh, it's saying like, okay, regardless of what the mechanism is for this sensitivity reaction being triggered, this immune response, Mm -hmm. uh, because we don't really care what, you know, what the mechanism was. We just want to know, does the reaction actually happen? And so that's what this test is telling us. Okay.
0: So that helps you narrow it down without doing the elimination diet, like what you're talking about? No, we still do an elimination. Oh, you still have to do yeah. a little bit of it. Okay. Yeah. So
1: we use this test more for kids who have pretty chronic, severe symptoms, okay. yeah. like really bad eczema, um, or, you know, really bad chronic constipation. Yeah.
0: That's what I was thinking. I just, when Grayson was little, he dealt with that a lot, constipation. This was like before even food, um, he was just doing breast milk and then I, I transitioned him into formula, but, um, it was awful. I mean, that's like the worst thing is to have even last night. Mm-hmm. Now he is here. I don't even know what he had last night to make him do this, but he was in our bed all night because his tummy was hurting and we oh. were like rubbing it. And you know, he was like tooting a lot. And so I was like, Ugh, it just sucks to have a tummy ache as a baby. Cause it's like hard to be like my tummy hurts where if you're an adult, you can be like, oh, I ate something. This is going to pass or wow. I keep eating the same thing and this is hurting. Maybe I can limit, you know, like there's just mm-hmm. like, conscious thing that we can do just with our own body mm-hmm. that I think as when we're parents and we're looking at our child, it's hard to really do that for them sometimes, even though we're at every meal and we're at every feeding and all of it, right? It's hard to know what's really causing this pain to happen. Yeah. And it's the worst. That's like the worst tummy yeah.
1: digestion, all that stuff. Yeah, It's really hard. And there's so many other reasons besides food sensitivities that, that kids can be having those sorts of symptoms. So that's kind of one of the reasons why I, 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 I'm cautious about who I will do this test and the elimination diet. on. So we want to have a pretty good, pretty clear understanding that it is likely food sensitivities that's driving it, or at least that addressing the food sensitivities is going to have a pretty major impact on reducing those symptoms before we go into putting a child on an elimination diet. Yeah.
0: I have a couple more questions, but they're a little bit more like opinions than they are facts. Are you okay with that? Sure. Go for it. Okay. So, um, we kind of mentioned like sweets as an award earlier, Mm -hmm. so don't do that. Don't do that. Um, but I love sweets and I love giving Grayson sweets.
1: I love sweets too. (laughs) So I'm a dietitian and yes, I love sweets.
0: Okay. So are you like just opinion, this is not facts. That's Mm -hmm. okay. But are you like, okay, I'll give my daughter sugar. Or are you like, try to eliminate as much sugar as you can?
1: I give her sugar. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm cautious around it. Like I don't overdo it, but I really love ice cream. Mm. (laughs) And so, especially I didn't used to eat that much ice cream, but once I got pregnant for whatever reason, I was craving it and it's just stuck around. So I really enjoy ice cream. And I can't eat it and not let her have some. That just feels rude. I know. This is what I'm dealing with. It's like,
0: if I'm like, oh, I want a piece of cake or I'm like, let me me be very clear. I am like a chocolate sugar junkie. I need it all the time. And if I'm having it, even if Grayson's asleep and it's at night, I feel guilty that I didn't offer him (laughs) some because it's so good and I want him to have some. Mm -hmm. But then I deal with this like mom guilt of like, dang it, I probably shouldn't give them that much sugar yeah. or, oh, I probably should be better
1: about that. So think about it this way. When we, re- so earlier we were talking about how restricting leads to overeating or over, did we talk about that? <laughs> yes, we did mention that. Yeah, we did. <laughs> so when we, when we stri- and if we did it, now, now we are. So when we <laughs> restrict our diets, and this goes for kids, but also adults, if we restrict ourselves. It just, makes us that much more interested and cause us to have cravings for that thing in specific. Mm. So if we are not letting our kids ever have sweets or if you're eating it and not letting, letting him have it, or if he's seeing other, his friends eat it or other people eat it and he's not, he's going to want it that much more. So the way I handle sweets is that it's, it's just part of our life. It's just like any other food that we're having. I don't, talk about sweets any differently than I talk about the other food that we're having. Mm -hmm. Like I don't say, oh my gosh, we're going to have cake. Aren't you excited? It's the most amazing thing ever. Mm, Oh, yeah. Like I don't do that. I say like, okay, and let's have a cookie. Yeah. Would you like some? Yeah. Just more like nonchalant. Just nonchalant. it's It's just another food kind of treat it as if it's, you know, just anything. Um, clearly those foods are they have more appeal, right? Because yeah. of the, the sugar and the fat so and good. they're just, they're not ever going to truly be on the same playing field as like broccoli, sure. for example. But in how we talk about the foods, how we treat them, we want to just normalize them mm. so that we avoid making our kids obsess over them. Yeah.
0: The other question that I have is around – um I guess more like path that people go. Like I mentioned earlier, we don't give Grayson and meat. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know why my husband, and I don't eat a lot of meat. I mean, we do like if we're going to go to a nice restaurant, like I'll have steak or whatever it is, mm-hmm. but we don't really consume a lot of meat with our meals. We love veggies. We usually do like a carb, a veggie beans, whatever. Um, and I think also I was more nervous to give Grayson meat because I was so worried he was going to choke on it. Mm-hmm. That's like, been my thing forever. I'm just was terrified. I would see people feed their kids meat and I would be like, oh my gosh, she's going to choke on that. Oh, I can't even watch. So I think there was a little bit of fear too. But when parents make this decision to go vegan or vegetarian, do you find that they have like this type of struggle too, where they're, now they have a picky eater because it's a kid and it's a picky eater. And then they have this other thing where their options guess technically aren't lim- eliminated, but they are in the sense of like, I'm going to go to a restaurant like we were mentioning earlier, right? Or I'm going to go to a friend's house or I'm going to go here. Do do your clients ever have that or have you ever experienced having that?
1: Yeah, I see, I see a lot of families that are choosing to raise their kids vegetarian or vegan. And while it absolutely can I I believe it absolutely can be done in a very healthy way and kids Mm -hmm. can get all of the nutrients that their bodies need from a vegan diet or a a vegetarian diet, and maybe a little bit of supplementation just to help cover the bases. Um, It, it can also definitely make things more challenging if you have a picky eater. Mm -hmm. So while I am, you know, I always want to support families with whatever kind of diet feels right for them as a family, as if they're on a plant-based diet, um, if a kid is really struggling with selective eating, um, and they're on a fully plant-based diet, they're much more likely to get deficiencies. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that is a time that I may talk to the family about branching out and allowing a little bit of animal foods in there, um, or doing some supplementation, but I always kind of come back to food is going to be a better source. Yeah, of the nutrients.
0: Is it ever um, maybe I don't know if you've experienced or not, but it just came to my mind. You had talked about like if you don't give your kid a lot of sugar, and then they're seeing all this sugar at parties or whatever, you know, then they're going to want it more. Mm-hmm. Is it do parents that do vegetarian or vegan run into that, or do they have a risk? Like they go to a birthday party and there's pizza or sandwiches or these things that they can't that have, have meat in there or yeah. dairy.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: Yeah, yeah, that would be the hardest thing I feel like is you send your kid to a birthday party and then now what do you eat?
1: Yeah, and and so that's where you determine what what are your priorities there. Is the priority letting the kid have a good time and eat the food that everyone else is eating or do you want to make a big deal over no you're not allowed to have this? Right. Um my I I'm also vegetarian. And I'm choosing to raise my daughter vegetarian just because I honestly just don't really want to be buying and cooking meat. Mm-hmm. But I also realize that it's her decision to make when she gets older, if she wants to be vegetarian or not. Yeah. Um, I can choose to not have meat in the home because I'm the one doing the grocery shopping. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. But if she's at a friend's house and she wants to try it or she's at my, my parents' house and wants to try some meat, that's up to her. I'm going to give her that, that decision. Yeah. That's good. So I'm, I'm more liberal. I, I personally, that's where I've found to be a good, happy medium and not restricting my daughter, not, you know, feeling like the food police of Mm. my daughter when we're out. I want her to just enjoy food and have a really positive, uh, relationship with food and for her to have, um, her own say. Yeah, about what her diet is going to be like when she's when she's older.
0: Yeah, that's good. I think that's really good advice too, because so often I do see parents. Uh, for me, I parent like path of least resistance, which is there's a, probably a lot of that that people could come back and be like, that's going to bite you in the butt later. Um, but I do. I just think like he's two; we can like barely <laughs> like get a word out. Sometimes I know what he's talking about. Yeah. Sometimes I don't. And for me, I'm like whatever I can do to avoid a tantrum. And now believe me, I'm not, if he has four chocolate chips, I'm not going to go give him more just because he wants them. But if we're like around people who are eating sweets or I, you know, for me, I'm just like path of least resistance. Like if somebody's eating that, he's going to want it. So I'm just going to be like, cool, go eat it. And he's actually really good about being like one more. I'll be like, okay, one more bite. And he's like, cool, one more bite. And I'm like, we're on the same page. Like we mm-hmm. do this eye to eye thing. And then he just has one more. How he learned that, I don't know. I'm so thankful for it, though, (laughs) because it helps with sweets because he will, like, not put a sweet down. Like, if there's ice cream in front of him or a cake, it's just, like, it'll be gone if I don't stop him. I don't think he has, like, a full level when it comes to sweets, Mm -hmm. and the sugar crash is real for him. Like, he has real bad sugar crashes.
1: So eventually he's going to have to kind of learn that lesson for himself, though, that when he, you know, right now he can't connect those dots. He doesn't understand that he's crashing or that it's related to all the sugar that he ate in the sweet. Like you see that. Right. Mm -hmm. But as he gets older, that's part of his learning process. Right. Is that he's going to have to learn that when I if I eat like a whole container of ice cream,
0: (laughs) my belly's going to hurt. I'm not going to feel good afterwards. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it tasted good, but you know, it didn't really serve me. And I feel much better if I eat real food and then have a reasonable size bowl of ice cream afterwards. Yeah. Um, and so we have to, we have to let them experience that too. And I, yeah. th- I think that's the hard thing is that we want to be able to just tell our kids, right. That this is the amount that you should eat. And if you eat more, I don't know what yeah. we want to tell them, but yeah. the, the messages that we give, I don't think are, they're, they're kind of scary. Like you will feel bad. You'll feel yeah. awful, you'll crash. You'll, um, like we don't want to, I, I don't think we should be instilling that kind of fear around, yeah. around
0: food. It's good for them to learn it. I, the self-learn lesson is the best lesson. It, just in life. I've learned that just from getting older, right? Like if you, I'm so wise, look at me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to sound like that, but, um, you know, like those lessons you've learned on your own versus somebody telling you, it's easier to like, when those come back up, to be like, remember, you learned that. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel so good. Let's just turn around or not do that or go a different direction.
1: Yeah. So it's our job to help yeah. our kids make those connections. Yeah. So to, to be able to point it out. Yeah. Good.
0: Thank you so much for your time today. I know we've gone over. So I, I appreciate you sitting here with me. I know that moms are going to be so excited to get a small little taste of just what it looks like to have a dietitian kind of come in and look at their experience of what they're dealing with. Cause it could be a picky eater. It could be stress and how to eliminate that. It could be sensitivity. Like there's just so many roadmaps. I think having somebody like you, not only on here, but that I can go to is going to be so great.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy. I'm I'm so honored to be able to be a resource for families and raising their kids and raising healthy, competent eaters. Yeah, really important. Um, and if you are in the Seattle area in the details
0: below, you can find all the information to contact Marlene if you have some more questions, um, or just want to come meet her and talk about um, your child's eating.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we are, if you can find me online at dandelionnutrition.com. And my name is Marlene Hillier. And I'll just kind of make a a little plug here too, that most people's insurance covers nutrition appointments. So it's pretty rare that we have to collect anything at all from people for their appointments. So that's not necessarily the case everywhere in the United States. Um, But I know a lot of insurance plans across the states cover nutrition appointments in full, no copay, no deductible or anything. So, oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So if you have any questions or concerns, there's really no reason not to at least just schedule an appointment. If your child, if you feel like your child is has some picky eating going on, it might be totally normal and you mm-hmm. might come in and just kind of, you know, just rule that out as being an issue and get some tips, some advice to help de-stress family meals and make sure that your kids are getting all the nutrients that they need at mealtimes. Um, or you might find out that there is more of an issue going on and um, also get some help with that.
0: Yeah. That's really good. I did not know that. I, I'm sure most people too, I would think of that as like a luxury to come see a dietitian, but it's good to know that most insurance will
1: cover that as of now, as that's of now. the case. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, yes. Always do your research. Everybody's insurance is different. Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really cannot
1: thank you enough. It's been amazing. It's been a lot of fun having these conversations with you. So thank you so much. I feel honored.
0: Thank you for listening. I hope you loved it. Please subscribe to this podcast so you can get the latest episodes and tell us what you think about it in the reviews. And mamas, I love you.